This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm so delighted you're here. This podcast is airing on what is, for me, a very important day in so many ways. The book I've written, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is, as of today, available in both paperback form and as an ebook. There's so many people to thank that I really am not going to take the time on this particular podcast to do so, but they're all in the acknowledgments. But I want to thank you as well, because this audience is what has given me so much pleasure and so much feedback about the kinds of messages that are important for you to hear. To celebrate, we've updated self-work a bit. There's a new actual name called the Self-Work Podcast. Not much of a change, but just a little. And then a new cover. With self-work, I've wanted to reach all kinds of people, those who are comfortable with therapy and maybe are already in therapy, to those of you who may not know much about therapy or just have been diagnosed. You know, I've gotten a lot of responses from people all over the world, and some of them have been troubling. One particular comment actually sparked this episode, and today we're going to talk about the victim mentality or emotional martyrdom. Maybe this is you, and this will be somewhat painful for you to hear, or perhaps it's going to describe someone you're in a relationship with or someone you love. You'll hear people like this say, it's my job to keep everyone happy, whether or not I'm happy myself. Or, don't worry about me, I'm fine. Or, I'm not hungry, I'll go on and eat, and I'll see what's left. These folks are in a lot of pain, but they're difficult to be in relationship with. So today we're going to learn about being an emotional martyr. The listener email today, which is a regular feature of self-work, is from a woman who has very young children at home and is struggling with wanting alone time. And I had to point out to her that perhaps she was really in an episode of postpartum depression. So sit back with me whenever you're listening, whether it's November the 1st or another day. Accept my appreciation and gratitude for your interest in self-work. And let's talk about the victim mentality. Recently, I got a comment on the questionnaire blog post on perfectly hidden depression, and it was from a woman whose every word convinced me that there's simply too many people in the world who believe it's their job to keep everyone around them happy. My response is one of concern, because I know there are many out there just like her, who are trying to find inner happiness in sacrificing themselves for others, and in the process, they can become somewhat of a martyr. This isn't exactly the same thing as a people pleaser, which a lot of people call themselves, but this is the kind of person whose whole intent is to make everyone happy. And in fact, how could you possibly do that? You're not in control of everyone else being happy. I know there's an old saying, ain't nobody happy if mama ain't happy, and I get that. In many families, women often have the role of attending to the emotional well-being of the family. I think this trend is changing slowly, and it's a change I love to see for both genders. But let's get back to the actual comment. Here it is. Now remember, she's answering the questionnaire. 
I got 23 yes answers. I don't want other people to worry about me. I continue to look happy because that makes those around me happy. A false smile and a mask no one can see behind is what I wear. People don't want to see sadness and misery all the time. It makes them sad. I like to think I'm a very caring person. I will and almost always have put other people ahead of me because I feel like that's the only way I can be happy when everyone around me is happy, and that makes it easier. I can certainly see how this woman answered the questions on the Perfectly Hidden Depression questionnaire the way she did, but it may be that if she actually reads the book, she won't find herself there as much as she perhaps thought. It's an interesting way of thinking about Perfectly Hidden Depression, and I may have to write about it. First, let's talk about making other people happy. I understand that, obviously, when the people you love are happy, you're happy. I get it. It's a gift to have the skill to know what makes the people you love smile. And self-sacrifice, putting aside what may be important to you, whether it's rest or food or getting work done, is often a part of really good caring. The ability to put others before yourself is honorable and it reflects integrity. Realizing someone really needs to talk to you, so you take up your lunchtime listening even though you're late on a work assignment. I call that good friendship. Using your Saturday to help a friend that's moving his mother into a new apartment, that's called kindness. Making double amounts of food for dinner and taking some to a neighbor whose husband is ill, that's generosity. And parenting can often feel like one opportunity after another to help your children feel important and loved. So you make sacrifices. You get up at 4.30 in the morning to just get a few things of your own done before your day begins all over again. All of these things and countless others are about self-sacrifice. But this is not the kind of self-sacrifice that is involved in the victim mentality. Just like so many traits, when you go overboard, that's when there's a problem. Let's talk about the sentences of her response just for a second. First, she says, I don't want other people to worry about me. The logic there seems to be that if you reveal a concern or a struggle, that that will create worry in the other person. And it may even become the listener's job to now make you happy. But no, it doesn't. You can talk to people and they can love you a lot, but not take on the responsibility of your happiness or even feel as if they need to worry. A healthier response is to acknowledge that what you feel sounds rough, but then they help you discover what you need to identify in yourself to solve the problem. The second point she makes that she wears a mask, and of course, this is very much a characteristic of perfectly hidden depression, then actually isn't it a way of shutting out others, not talking about yourself? They might wonder, I wonder why mom never talks about the death of her sister, or I wish my brother would be more open about what his divorce is doing to him. Always acting happy shuts other people down. Sometimes people can feel that. And sometimes, if you're really good at doing it, they cannot. Third, she makes the point, people don't want to see sadness and misery all the time. It makes them sad. Yes, rarely, if someone always talks about how miserable they are, you don't particularly want to be around them. That's not your cup of tea. But I don't believe that when you state sadness or even misery, it has immense staying power. In fact, quite the opposite has been my experience, that if you talk about your sadness, feeling miserable to someone who wants to help you, someone who can have empathy, you can actually begin to let it go and move ahead. But the most sad thing that I actually read was, 
If I put others ahead of me, then that's the only way to be happy. It's the word only that I hated hearing. It sounds as if she doesn't know how to soothe herself, as if she's carrying pain or hurt or struggle around that can only be eased when she's so busy taking care of others that it distracts her. She lives through their happiness instead of her own. All of these responses seem to suggest to me that she's struggling with what is termed in the psychological literature a victim mentality or emotional martyrdom. So I went searching for what these victims, what these martyrs actually look like. And I found nine things in a Your Tango article that was written by Nancy Carbone. I want to make sure and credit her. We'll go quickly through these. First, people who see themselves as victims or have that mentality don't usually take action. They tend to give up. They make excuses before they even get started because they really lack confidence which is the second trait. You don't believe in yourself, so you don't follow through with your own ideas. You find excuses, avoid being accountable, or just coast along rather than taking risks. The third trait is that you let others take control over your own life. Basically, you let them tell you how to live your life. And by following others, you don't have to take control or the responsibility. Fourth, is you let negative self-belief sabotage your choices. We've already talked about that maybe you give up a bit too easily, but you're going to settle for things in your life that you think you deserve. You don't think you're good enough, and so you just deserve whatever you're given. Like the comment, I'll let everybody eat, and then I'll eat what's left. You're almost saying, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough value to be seated at the table with everyone else. And of course, what does this lead to? Resentment. Another trait is that you deplete yourself until you need support. So basically, you run around trying to please everyone to the detriment of yourself until you hit a crisis and need to be rescued. You're running on empty and you can't function at all anymore. Then what happens is you blame other people because you carried them and forgot to think about yourself. And when you need them, they're not meeting your needs. And this pattern can go on and on where you give and give and take care and take care and take care. And then finally, you're the one who's sick or you're the one who's in a, some sort of emotional crisis and you've developed relationships where people take from you. They don't give to you. So, of course, they don't give now either. You can feel very bitter and resentful, as we said, because you're not living the life that you want to live. There's no time for your own shower because everyone's lunch had to be fixed. Basically, your self-care is terrible. I think sometimes this can morph into the fact that you may be even living through your children or through others, and yet there's growing resentment. Here are the last two. Victims tend to engage in self-destructive coping behavior, meaning basically you may be prone to addictions or having affairs or other self-defeating behaviors. Again, you're running away from unwanted feelings of the resentment and also the feeling of emptiness, that your own purpose is getting ignored. You just can't risk enough to take it. And the last trait is if you have a victim mentality, everyone else is to blame. When push comes to shove, you will say, I was the one that was ignored here. I was the one who was trying to do everything. And if things go wrong, it wasn't my fault. You were in the lead. 
You can hear how painful of an existence this is. And of course, it's all based on tremendous insecurity, not believing in yourself. But what kind of person is attracted to someone who's an emotional martyr, who has a victim mentality? Mainly, if you're highly empathic or are fairly naive, you'll be drawn to this kind of person because you see their pain. You see how hard they work to please others, but you also see them hiding behind that. And you take it as your job to draw them out, to try to support them taking more risks and living more of their own life. If you're a sympathetic person, it's so easy to feel bad for a victim. And you can see and hear the circus of never-ending dramas they're always involved in. But what you may notice is that really the cast of characters where they're being hurt or ignored or rejected You start to notice that the bad guys in their life may change, but the underlying drama never ends. They are always the one who's being taken advantage of or who's getting hurt. So this is what other people may see about someone with victim mentality. Someone who's an emotional martyr will manufacture their own hardship. They'll constantly complain about the things that life's done to them. They have bad luck. But if you take a closer look, is it really bad luck or did the victim invent some of this themselves? Are they telling themselves a story about how they were taken advantage of or ignored or rejected? What about the work colleague who refuses to take a vacation but then constantly complains about long and exhausting hours? Or what about a friend who's in a relationship with someone who cheats on her all the time but she refuses to break it off and then complains? Someone who's an emotional martyr may go out of their way to put themselves in less than ideal situations, and then when it backfires, they will feel sorry for themselves and not realize their own part of creating the hardship. You need to listen to the way they talk about the people around them. You'll hear everybody else is a jerk, and they might not realize they're the ones with a bit of a difficult personality. You'll certainly hear this with people who are divorced and have more of this mentality. The divorce was due to their ex's selfishness or lack of caring, but they don't admit any responsibility for what was their part in creating what went wrong in their relationship. They are simply never to blame. What you'll also notice is that people who are emotional martyrs or have the victim mentality don't hide their resentment very well, but they think they do. I had a woman as a patient many years ago who had undergone in vitro fertilization to have her first child. He was a teenager now, and he was reacting both to his own teenagedom, but also to a very difficult divorce that she and her ex-husband had been through, and he was having big problems. What she would talk to me about in therapy was how he ought to be grateful that she'd undergone all the shots and the procedures just to give him life. And that she was so upset that he didn't thank her for that or wasn't more grateful for that. I had to try to help guide her to the idea that those were her choices, her risks, her sacrifice. And although at times he was being difficult, those two things didn't have anything to do with one another. But because she had walked around in a sense of martyrdom for many years, it was a hard transition for her to make. You'll notice that emotional martyrs also believe everyone is out to use them or abuse them or just treat them badly. 
They're very skeptical of everyone and their motives, so they rarely get along with others. They simply don't have healthy relationships. Something else you need to watch for is that what a particular article called an evergreen victim, someone who definitely is an emotional martyr, may also have some narcissistic tendencies. They may hold themselves in extremely high regard, saying things like, nobody is giving as I am, nobody sacrifices as much as I do for you, and so on. And then they compare everyone else to these standards that they have set, that they give way too much, they do way too much for other people. And so, of course, everyone else falls short, right? (laughs) This is when I hear a statement like, I simply want someone to care for me the way I care for them. I never get back what I give out. Now, this is different from wanting someone to love you. But when you love to the point of extreme self-sacrifice, then actually, if you get it back, that's often not healthy. Now, I'm not talking about, obviously, who's someone who pulls you out of a burning car or... (laughs) or goes through a period of time with you when the relationship is not about them at all. We all do that. But this is giving extremely to the point of self-sacrifice all the time and then becoming bitter that that's not what comes back your way. The last thing that you may notice if you're trying to be in a relationship with someone who tends to be a martyr or a victim, when you try to confront them about the reality of their own behavior, it's not going to go well. You may get a rage response, you may get a lot of tears, or you may get cold, aloof silence because they feel victimized by what you've said to them. Obviously, you don't appreciate them. Obviously, you don't see how much they have to give or have given, and they'll punish you for that because they thrive on the drama. One thing that is at the center of this sort of martyrdom or a victim complex is a pathological need to be constantly showered with attention and depended upon by others. If that's what you don't provide them, if you say, I really can do this myself, I don't need you to do it, they will get very angry and very hurt. Again, this is a very painful way to live your life. And just like narcissism, it is based on tremendous and deep insecurity So if any of these words mean something to you and you're ready to look at yourself and say, why do I always put others first to the point of my own self-detriment? You're trying to get something from others that you need to learn to try to give yourself self-compassion, self-acceptance, and self-caring. Our listener email for today, which is a regular feature of the Self-Work Podcast, writes about her yearning for some alone time when she's parenting young children. So this is what she asks. How do you get through depression while still having to care for small children, work, and attend to your marriage? How do you cry when you have to be strong and present for everyone else? How do you not look crazy for wanting to just be alone, to be in your thoughts, to figure this out? Can you please talk about this for the people with no village to help them? Now, this particular listener had also joined my Facebook closed group, which she told me, and I responded to her there. So here's my response to her. I'm so glad you've joined the group and talked there about these struggles. 
As I said, you're not crazy for wanting and needing some time alone. In fact, I've laughed. I never understood the very old Calgon commercial of this woman in the bathtub with bubbles saying, Calgon, take me away. I don't think it's on anymore. But when I became a mom, I knew what that commercial was attending to. But I continue in my response. You and your husband hopefully can work out some of the time that you both need. It may be that you don't have other family available to help, but I wonder if you're asking for help from anyone. Sometimes when you don't, when you struggle to ask for help, then others assume you're doing fine. So that's definitely something I'd ask yourself. You can look at the nursery where your children go or the preschool, wherever they are. Sometimes there are teachers there who also want to make a little money on the side and will babysit for very little. Or you can find other mothers and fathers that are there needing the same kind of alone time you are and develop trusting enough relationships with them where occasionally you can leave your children with them and vice versa. But you have to talk about needing help. But there's another point that's also important. You may be experiencing true postpartum depression, which could be very serious. I definitely go talk to your OBGYN about it or your primary care physician or a therapist. But please don't discount how you're feeling because it's been a couple of years since your last child was born. Postpartum depression can actually last a long time when it's untreated. There's much more understanding of postpartum now, and I'd highly recommend that you go talk about it rather than discounting the feelings that you're having as being tired or just overwhelmed. Take the time to make an appointment. It's time for some mama care for sure. You know, there is so much shame in having struggles with having a young child or young children and not just believing it's making your day all the time or you should be so grateful to have these children. Yes, children can be wonderful, but children can also be, as I say often to my own patients, little black holes of need. (laughs) And so they can wear you out. If you add actual depression to that picture and you're struggling with postpartum depression, which is just as real as any kind of depression, then that can complicate the picture because you can shame yourself for even admitting that you feel that way. Please don't let that stop you from talking about it and seeking help. Thanks so much for being a part of now what's called the Self Work Podcast today. I cannot really explain to you the gratitude I feel for the subscribers I have and for regular listeners. It pleases me to see how many of you are listening to self-work and sharing self-work. Please let your friends know that you enjoy listening to this program. That's the best advertising I can have straight from your lips. Thank you so much to the people who've left actual ratings and reviews. That is a major way that people will hear about the self-work podcast, what it is, what it's not and what you enjoy about it. You can subscribe to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com, and that's a really easy way to keep up with the podcast as well as my weekly blog post. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com, and I will answer you. And you can join now my Facebook closed group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, thank you for being with me on this very special day. Take very good care. This is Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.